This is real life. This is not make-believe. This yeah. is not, um, you know, standing in front of a mirror in the morning going, helmet of salvation, sword is better. I'm ready. You know, this is about actually doing this thing in real life. So that we are able to stand firm in a world which is not for us. Yeah? We live with these enemies, the world, the flesh and the devil. Internal, external, infernal in the sense that the devil is bound for hell. And, and how do we stand firm against, against such enemies? Because number one, our God is strong. And number two, he strengthens us. And gives us equipment by which we can live. Yeah? So we're going to be looking at this equipment together. Let's pray together. I'm not going to do my intro. I'll lift lift that out. Father, we pray now you'll give us encouragement through your word. That this truth will build us up. We'll feel stronger. We'll feel more confident in you to live as you have designed for us. Lord, we refuse to accept that we are beaten, that we are uh, downtrodden. You, the scripture says that we can be or are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can overcome, we can uh, step over, we can work through these things and come through them. We thank you for your great promises. We pray that we may be assured of them again today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the scripture says, starting again from Ephesians 6 verse 10, which is really where uh, Ephesians 6 should start, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For a battle is not against flesh and blood, we're not fighting people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Talked about wrestling in the heavens a few weeks ago. This is why you must take up the full armor of God. He's repeating himself, isn't he? So that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Not every day is as evil as as some days, but some days are really, really tough days. Even on your toughest day, you may still be able to stand and come through that day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word, And finally, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. The armour of God. Uh, Let me just say in my introduction, which I didn't read out to you, that um, I I started off thinking I was going to do one or two of these and and the rest I'd do it quickly in one go. And one of those times this morning I felt the Lord rebuke me and say, so the others are less important, are they? Um, just haven't thought that much about them yet then do the thinking and do the writing so actually every one of these pieces of armour or weaponry is going to get a Sunday on its own starting today with the belt of truth but let's just 
to the general armory minute. Many people, if you go to a Bible, uh, st study Bible or whatever, m most people assume that Paul's looking at a Roman soldier when he talks about this armor, all right? And, um, but these pieces of armor and weaponry were common in many places and for a very long time. In fact, if you go back a thousand years from the time of David, they had very similar armor. That is an Israelite soldier from about a thousand BC. You find the same things. A breastplate, a helmet, footwear, a belt, a shield, a helmet, a sword. When Saul offered David his armor to go and face Goliath, it was that stuff. But it was too big for David and he didn't want, didn't want it. Uh, this would have been the basic kit. So I don't think Rome, that Paul had to imagine a Roman kit. And in fact, um, there are many places in the Old Testament where references are made to this kind of armor. Now, here's a second reason to that I just set aside the idea of a Roman soldier. It's not necessary. Is this. That most of these pieces of armor in the Old Testament are described as things that God himself puts on. God takes his shield. God takes his sword in his hand. God uses his bow. God puts his belt on to go to war. So God, this is God's armor. See, that's why Paul says, take up the armor of God. God. It's God's armor that we see him in the Old Testament using himself. He doesn't say, put on your armor. He says, put on the full armor of God. Because the Old Testament prophetic scriptures contain word pictures of the Lord of hosts putting on his armor. Here's one from Jeremiah. The Lord opened his armory and brought out his weapons of wrath because it's a task of the Lord God of hosts. God is marching out to defeat his enemies. I mean, these are terrifying pictures, really. But the book of Revelation is about what? War of it from heaven. War being delivered from heaven. Not war with tanks and planes and drones. War when heaven begins to march against its enemies. I mean, it's fearsome stuff. You know, the, you might skip from the beginning of Revelation to the end and say, oh, we win in the end. But there's some, there's some pretty terrifying stuff on the way through. Yeah. The picture is, we win because Jesus has already won. Absolutely. The battle and the victory is his. That's why many scriptures like this in Psalms... Come talk about celebrating his victory. He's the warrior. We're the followers. Yep. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and his holy arm have won him the victory. I'm sorry for those of you who are left-handed, but it says here that God is right-handed. <laughs> for instance. His right hand and his holy arm have given him the victory. Uh, verse 2. The Lord has, ma had, has made his victory known. He's published it. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. In fact, the gospel is the de declaration of the victory of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Angie. <laughs> Somebody's with me. Jesus has defeated sin and death and Satan. Hallelujah. He's defeated them. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus is now in charge. Yes. His victory is made known. In the southern nations, he's remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. I remember that from the King James. I have seen the salvation of God. As the gospel is declared around the world, the salvation of God, the victory of God is being declared around the world. His victory is then our victory. Without him, we can't succeed. But if the Lord is for us, and we read in Romans, 
Who can be against us? If you've got God on your side, who cares how big the enemy is? That was David's attitude facing Goliath, wasn't it? Yes. Big men, bigger God. We don't make this armor. It's God's design and making and he gives it to us. Saul offered his armor to David, didn't suit him. But God's armor is right for us. It fits us. It helps us. And then we must put it on. Put on the full armor of God. It's the Lord's battle. It's his strength and armor we've got to put on. If we're to endure to the end as a Christian, as a believer, it will only be by his grace through faith. We've got to receive and use the armor and weapons the Lord provides to us. And this is not the only place in Scripture, Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about the armor of God. If you go back to Romans 13, the night is nearly over. The daylight is near. In other words, Jesus is coming. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Another one is in 1 Thessalonians, since we, which is a similar scripture. Since we belong to the day, we must be serious and put on the armor of faith and love on our chests and put on a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to attain salvation through Jesus Christ. Put it on, this armor. I haven't told you what it is yet, but never mind. And don't take it off. Live in this armor, ready at all times to resist attack. You don't know when you're going to have a difficult day. You come under some pressure. Someone's going to oppose your faith. Someone's going to criticize you. Someone's going to... You don't know when that day is coming, but God does, and you need to have the armor on. Now, this put on the armor is really the same as saying, put on the Lord Jesus. For if you go on, we just look back here, Romans 13, verse 12, all right? Skip a verse and you get to Romans 13 verse 14 where Paul says, repeating himself, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Putting on the armor is another way, a detailed way of saying, put on the Lord Jesus. In some places Paul compares this putting on to putting on clothing, to putting off the old way of life like old dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes in Jesus. In other places, it's to armor. In both cases, the same thing. You've got to put something off. You've got to put off unbelief and put on, pick up the shield of faith. You've got to put down lies and put on the truth. You've got to deal with some stuff and appropriate other things to yourself. Say, I'm not having that. I'm having this. Put off and put on. Put off the old man, your old way of life. Put on new way of life in Jesus. Living in him, with him, for him. And the most important words in what we just read and what we're going to go through now be after Christmas before we finish it is not belt, breastplate, sandals, shield, helmet, sword, but what they represent. The most important words are truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, faith, salvation, God's word, the sword, and then prayer. Those are the most important words. To put on these is to put on Christ. Because, as I helpfully found on an overhead that someone had already done, pinched it, Jesus in the scriptures is described as our truth, our righteousness, our peace, our faith, our salvation. And one of his names is the word of God. It's all about Jesus. Jesus lived here amongst us in this armor. He was doing these things. It's how he fought 
the fight of faith too. He's our Savior and Master, but we're following our Master. We're following his example. Remember this. Jesus showed, showed us how to do two things, which are two things. People have confused this, and they think we're doing this when we're doing that. In the wilderness, Jesus resisted the lies and deceits and the tricks of the devil. The devil was trying to trick him and deceive him. Jesus resisted it. Even when the devil misused scripture, Jesus quoted scripture back to him. He resisted the devil. We've already looked at that. Scripture says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You don't have to have a big stomp and strop about it. You don't have to rebuke and bind. You just have to say, no, no, in God's name, no. Here's the scripture. Why? No. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus wrestled in prayer to bring his soul to obedience to the point of death, to accept the Father's plan to go to the cross. Jesus wrestled in prayer. He wasn't wrestling the devil. He was wrestling in prayer. The Gospels are not just a historical narrative of the life of Jesus. They're also our training manual for how to follow him, how to live like him. Scripture does not say, pick up what you like from this armor. Oh, I think I like that and I like that because I'm more familiar with those, but I I'm, I'm can't really get into that. It says, take up. You've got to do something about this. Take up the full armor of God so that you're able to resist. And when you're resi- finished resisting, you're still standing. Now I'm going to spell out each piece of armor. Really, it's one set. It's one whole kit. All right? It works as one. And if you're only part equipped, then you're only part equipped for life. You're only part equipped for, contact, for, for conflict. You're not really safe without the full set. So you might think as we go through this one in the next few weeks, I'm not good at that one, I'm weak in this. Do not allow that to settle in your heart. No. Turn it into a prayer. Yeah. Ask the Lord to strengthen you by his great power in that specific area, to make you stronger. Don't let Satan accuse you and depress you. Ask the Lord for more faith, for more knowledge. You say, what, you can ask for more faith? Of course you can. Why wouldn't God be delighted for you to ask for more faith? Because when you trust him more, he's more, he's more glorified in you. Hallelujah. God's concerned for his glory, so you can ask for more faith. You can say, Lord, help my faith. Make me strong. So we're going to work through items of armor and weaponry. I'm going to start with truth as a belt. All right, I'm going to give you headlines on the others. Come back to them the following Sundays. Truth as a belt. I've found some nice images for some of these. Ephesians 10 down to 6, 14 to summarize them. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Now this is not our truthfulness, our being honest Christians, but it's God's truth. We have a moral duty as Christians to be honest and not deceitful, which is devilish, but... That's spoken of elsewhere. That's one of our moral duties as a Christian. But this truth is part of the armor of God, is God's truth. Truth is mentioned as both as armor, the belt of truth, and as a weapon, the sword of the Spirit, in this description. Hold onto the truth and let the truth hold onto you, hold you together. You can't use truth as a sword unless it already holds you like a belt. It's firmly holding you together. Think of a few belts. This is the traditional army belt. It was at one time called the Sam Brown belt. I don't know why. 
Generally, a soldier's belt is wide and strong and it's tightly fastened right around the midriff. He may put a knife or other tools or weapons into this belt. And more recently, military belts have become utility belts. You know, and Batman, not just Batman has a utility belt nowadays. Squaddies do too, you know, with things in them, you know, compass and knife and different things. It carries tools and equipment, but it holds you together. And uh, I know a little about this because I used to be into this a bit more than I am now. Weightlifters and bodybuilders like a big, wide, strong belt around the middle. Why? Because it holds them in so they can take more strain. There's a danger that something could pop, something could give, you know, in the back, in the stomach muscles. So they strap, they're wider than that. Some of them are like, you know. Have you seen a boxer's belt that protects his kidneys? I mean, big, broad belt strapped around the middle. It holds you in, holds you together, and gives you some protection. You can exert more effort when you've got a good thick belt around your middle. Unless the truth holds you up and makes you strong, any effort will drain you. You'll risk pulling something, hurting something. So this belt of truth around you mustn't be loose or weak because it's what holds you in, what holds you up. Such a belt holds your guts in. Unfortunately, nowadays, most men's trousers hit, sit on the hips, not on the waist. Have you noticed that? So the belt doesn't hold your gut in. It just gives it a platform to sit on. Very often. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> but this is a belt that goes right around the middle, so it holds you in like a girdle. And interestingly, in the Bible... The Bible talks about guts or bowels more than, you, more than we'd be comfortable with, really. Paul even uses the expression to talk about where you feel compassion. Bowels of mercy. When you're moved here for somebody, you know? You feel, you know, you can feel love in your guts. You know, you can feel hatred in your guts. There's emotional things that kick off down there, aren't there? Yeah? Now, listen to this. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part. And he's talking about bowels. You will make me know wisdom. Truth is not just for your head and even for your heart. It's for your guts. We need to be convinced of the truth at a thoroughly foundational level like deep in here. I believe this is true. I believe the gospel. I believe in Jesus. Not just because, oh yeah, I've got that idea and that idea and that idea, and yeah, that's okay. But no, it's unshakably true yeah. in my insides. Amen. Truth like a belt around your waist. So no one's going to shake you from the conviction, this is true. My Savior is real. That is what it is convinced of the truth. It's at a gut level. So you're not having to be persuaded again and again and again. It stays, it sticks. You know it's so. Truth is to be a belt like that around us. And some military belts, we saw the one earlier, both the Hebrew one and the Roman one, had some kind of protection across what's politely called the loins. You know? um, it wasn't 
wasn't, you know, solid metal, but it, there was something that would deflect a blow there. Some protection to the lower parts. But the truth, you'll have a bit of fun with this one. The belt in the Middle Eastern culture is also what you could use to gird up your loins. You know, when you're wearing a long flowing robe, it's, it's, it's nice to keep the sun off your legs and, you know, give you some shade and, and you know, interesting. They're quite cool to have a like, flowing thing around you, jabella kind of thing. But they're hopeless for running in or fighting in. You've got to pick them up. You even see ladies, you know, when they sometimes when they go along, they have to pick it up to kind of, if you want to step through a pedal, pe- uh, you know, you want to nimbly get somewhere, you want to step through a puddle or something, you've got to pick it up. Well, it's the same with these kind of long robes that men wore. They had to tie it up. Now, there's a way of tying it up, which is illustrated in that little funny illustration there. But a simpler way, simply you pick it up behind you and tuck it over your belt. And then you're bare to your knees, you can run. You can move. You can be nimble. You need a truth like a belt fast around you so that when necessary, you're able to pick it up and step through the mess of this world. Get over the obstacles. Avoid the pitfalls. Keep from stumbling. I don't know about you, but sometimes being a Christian seems to me like I'm walking through a minefield. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. You you need to truth. Belt of truth will help you because it will help you to pick things up, step through carefully and Assuredly. So this belt holds you up, holds you in, keeps your tools and weapons to hand, gives you protection, sets you free to move with more accuracy and confidence. Okay, fine. But it's the belt of truth. It's truth that does this for us. Truth. We find truth in God and from his word. We find the truth about God, the truth about us, the truth about God's grace. And we need God's word to inform us. There's a danger today that people say, well, I know what the Bible says, but I've got my idea about God. Well, you're welcome to your idea about God, but the God of heaven will accept you on his terms, not yours. Right? This is his self-revelation. He tells us who he is and what he's like. You know, I've been reading Gurnall, the guy who writes on this Christian in complete armor, 1600s. He says, faith accepts no report of God except from God's own mouth. Faith conceives all of its ideas of God by the word. I'll mention a bit later on about fake faith. The danger is when people think they believe something, but it's not the truth. What are they left believing? A lie, someone said further back. If you're building your life on a lie... So the gospel and the Bible and biblical theology must be a foundation for your believing because living comes out of believing. This is not a great animation, but I get the point. What we believe shapes the way we live. Watch this. Believing, living. What you believe shapes the way you live. That's why truth needs to get down to a gut level, a conviction level. You know it's true. You'd stake your life upon it. In fact, you're living your, you're living your life on it. Your whole life is built upon this being true. The decisions you make about how you handle finances, what career you, you go into, who you marry, all of these things are built upon this truth. It's not... Alternative, oh well, that's, that's my Christian bit of life and then here's the rest of it. No, 
All of life is built upon the truth. In holding on to the truth and the truth holding you together, you've got to deal with what is not truth. With lies, deceptions, error, false doctrine, anti-human philosophies, worldliness, consumerism, love of money, godlessness. The world is full of lies. It's a, it, 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 it's a, it's a, uh, a tower of lies. That's the expression Calvin gave it. The world is a tower of lies. And we are the people living and standing on the truth. We better need some. We better get. We better get some strength to do this, haven't we? Yeah. And we better find out what God's got to equip us with. Colonel says Satan is not particular what lie he tells you. One will work as powerfully as another if he can get you to believe it. <laughs> are you tweeting these things? <laughs> okay. Uh, I've seen people take photos and they appear on the internet before now. Um, G.K. Chesterton, Roman Catholic uh, philosopher, uh, Edwardian age, said when people stop believing in God, they don't, believe it, they don't believe nothing, they believe anything. Any lie will do. Any lie will do. Colonel 2, apart from Christ, Satan has successfully deceived every man who ever lived. See, deception is powerful. You don't know you're deceived until someone unlocks the, the, the door and you see the light. You're locked in there. You don't know you're deceived. You can be deceived and you, don't, you will not know it. You're imprisoned and you don't know it. The devil twists scripture too. When the devil tempted Christ. He didn't dispute against Scripture. He used Scripture, drawing his arrows out of this very quiver. The phrase in uh, Shakespeare where he talks about um, being like the devil when he uses old, odd ends stolen out of holy writ. Be very careful when people give you bits and drabs and drabs of Scripture and make a big case about it. And the Bible says, and they, they don't refer to all the Scripture. They don't plow through. They don't connect it together. Because you can take a thing out of context and make it a pretext to say whatever you want. And a lot of modern preachers do it all the time. We answer those, this stuff by our knowledge of Scripture. Now, I thank God that many of you have been picking up, working through the Bible in a year, and when I say to you, you know, the Bible talks about God having a shield. Oh, yeah, 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 you can remember those things. They come into mind. The Bible says was used by the Lord Jesus a long time before Billy Graham used it. The Bible says, Scripture says. Answer every thought, every accusation, every temptation, every provocation of the devil with God's word again and again. We're going to come back to that when we look at the sword of the Spirit with the helmet of salvation as well. People sometimes talk about blind faith. Blind faith is overrated. Faith is connected to truth, to knowing and receiving what is true. Not having a guess in the, in the dark. Not sticking a finger in the wind. It's knowing what is true. Faith is built upon truth. Not just feelings. Feelings can change. Feelings can change. Some days I feel more like a Christian than I feel other days. And some days I really would rather be lazy and not bother too much. 
what holds me in, holds me up, holds me together? Truth. It doesn't matter what I feel. Because God's truth is still truth. And he has saved me and is saving me and will save me. And that doesn't change, even if I'm having a bad day. God's truth is unchangeable. Jesus said, and I should have put this in my notes so you see it as being from Jesus, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth opens the prison you're in, blows away the deception you've been taken in and puts you into somewhere where you are now free to live the life that God intended for you. It's truth that does that. People think they need an experience. Uh, Let me tell you that what many of us need is not a particular experience. We need an injection of truth. We need to get hold of something that we know is true and build our lives on it. There are New Testament scriptures in which faith and knowledge appear together. Here are two of them. Beginning of the book of Titus. You see, this is Bible readings this last week. Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to build up the faith of God's chosen ones elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life that God which cannot, who cannot lie promised before time and Paul had received commission from the Lord Jesus to build up the faith of God's people and to increase the knowledge of truth in them so that their lives were changed. It led to godliness. It led to a God-centered, God-focused, God-honoring life. Yeah? That's what godliness means. Increased knowledge should lead to improved living. A change of mind to a change of life. That's why we talk about becoming a Christian as conversion. You've been switched over, running on a new energy, running on a new set of parameters. Why? Because you're now... You're receiving the truth. You haven't got it all, but you're receiving it. And you're living in it. It becomes your motivation. Not, how do I feel today? But No, what's, what's true today is the same as what was true yesterday. And then there's another one, a longer one, in 2 Peter. By his divine power, he has given us everything required for life and godliness. There's that word again. God-centered, God-focused, God-honoring way of living. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So God has given you something to be getting along with. Is that right? Is that what it says? No. God has given you, promised you everything we need to live life well. By these he's given us very great and precious promises. So that, notice the promises. Where do we find the promises? I'm not talking about some guy who wheels up and prophesies to you, you know. I have the word of the Lord for you, you know. God's promises are not prophetic utterances. They are Bible. He's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature. Becoming more like Jesus. Escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. Now listen. Paul, Peter goes on. For this very reason, because you've got these great and precious promises, 
the, by, through which God promised you he'll give you, he'll sustain you and help you with everything you need to live a godly life. For this very reason, make every effort. Now, if you're, if you're somebody who likes to kick back and, and not, not work too hard and, you know, cool and lazy and is kind of your... You're not going to like this verse. Because it says, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. That's moral excellence. That's, that's being a good person, a godly person. Add to your faith goodness. Add to goodness, what? Knowledge. Understanding more of the scripture. Understanding more of the truth. Working at it to build more in. Add to knowledge self-control. So, he's out of the room. But David, yeah, you got cross with the driver, but, you know, at that moment, self-control comes in. You're dealing with the emotion. There's nothing, nothing wrong having the thought or the emotion. It's, have, it's knowing you're the, you, you are responsible and you have authority to deal with the thought and the emotion. Self-control. It's a work of the Spirit in a, in, in a, in a Christian. Self-control, add to self-control, endurance, perseverance. And endurance, godliness, which is God-centeredness. To godliness, brotherly affection. We're kind of nice to one another, friendly to one another. But to brotherly affection, something even more than that, love. That's the, that's the, that's the, that, that's the uh, agape word. That's the highest form of love. That's self-sacrificing love. You know, not the, we'll have a bit of give and take and you help me and I'll help you. It's like, I'll help you when you can't do a thing for me. Self-sacrificing love. It doesn't stop there. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I read that one day and I thought, my God in heaven, I do not want that to be my epitaph. Here lies David Evans. He was useless and unfruitful. (laughs) I'm joking. I seriously thought that and prayed it. By adding these things on to faith, including knowledge, number three in that list, they will keep you from being useless and unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But the person who lacks these things, and Peter's straight and tough here, is blind and short-sighted. I don't know if he can be both, but there you go. And has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. We're commanded there to add knowledge to our faith after adding goodness and to continue to pursue growth in grace. So I have to tell you that a lazy Christian will be an ineffectual and unfruitful Christian. And a believer who is weak on truth will be weak on life because they won't have the equipment they need to deal with life when life happens. So add knowledge to your faith. Build yourself up in scripture, in sound teaching. Learn to discern what is sound and what is not. Don't be taken in by what is clever or novel. When someone says, I've got something no one's ever preached before, it's never, not, I don't even think it's in the scriptures, Just tell them to take a hike. You know? What is the expression? A long walk off a short pier. How you live, how you walk, depends upon what you believe. And if your faith is not grounded in and on the truth, 
that may actually be false, fake faith. If you're not building on truth, your building isn't safe. If what holds you is not secure, your life is not secure. A wind will blow you and shake you. Peter says that adding to your faith goodness and knowledge and so on will keep you from being useless or unfruitful. Paul says something similar when he writes to Philemon about Onesimus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. Philemon was going to be more effective and more fruitful through knowing the gospel promises about what God was doing in him and through him. Every good thing that God was depositing in him through Christ for his glory, the more he understood that, the more fruitful he would be. Knowing the truth sets you free again and again and again and causes you to be fruitful. The doctrines of God and of grace teach us to participate in faith, to be active and effective. Now, winding down now. Into the end. You may think that I'm often kind of having to point out popular preaching and teaching and that it's wide of scripture. But my concern is this that what is said about faith, about the Lord Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, if you take on errors, you're putting on fake armor. It will fail you. When the battle presses hard, the armor will fall to bits. Because it isn't built. On the truth. Another quote from Gurnall. Look closely at the label. You know, I went to a wedding once and people, men, the men were wearing the labels on their suits still on the sleeve to show what label it was. I even went somewhere I saw price tags on something. Someone showing off how much that thing had cost. I thought, oh my word. This is the world we live in. Colonel says, look closely at the label to see whether the army you wear is the workmanship of God or not. There are many imitations on the market nowadays. And more than 400 years later, Gurnall was is still absolutely right. There are many imitations nowadays. The stuff that looks and sounds like Christianity, but it ain't. There's things that talk about faith, but it's not really about faith. It's about magic. It's about mind control. It's about... It, it's, a, it's about... Um, uh, that kind of, kind of you, you, you pin a note to your headboard and, and ask the universe for something, and the universe provides it. So it's not about God, it's just about somehow mystical things. There's fake armor out there too. Stuff that says, you do this, it'll be good for you. It's not what the Bible says. I'm going to tell you an example about why these things create some passion in me. It happened when we came to Harlow. I recall spending time personally with a couple whom I knew were convinced by some of that faith movement teaching. And I remember sitting in their front room and saying to them, like, like seriously, eye to eye, this is fake. What you're into is fake. It will fail and it will disappoint you. A little while later, a crisis came to them. I won't tell you what it was. And they did what they'd been taught to do, falsely. They made their positive confessions. They named and claimed, they decreed and declared, and they prophesied and so on. By the way, I have nothing against prophecy. That's, that's the Holy Spirit giving us some words from God to speak to one another, but that needs to be weighed. Some of it's good, some of it's okay. 
we need to keep hold of what's good. We need to reject stuff if it doesn't really hit the mark. And, and we, we, we thank God for it and we, pr- we turn it into prayer and we, we begin to proceed forward because God's given us some encouragement along the way. Okay? I believe in prophecy. But there's, there's a false prophet saying which says, I can say what I want and God's got to do it. Got it? That's false. I can say what I want and God's got to do it is false. So when they'd done all this, it didn't work. And they gave up. But they didn't just give up on their error and on what they'd been, been, been mistaught. I have to tell you, they gave up on God and the gospel. They walked away altogether. That was the depth of their disappointment with the fake faith and the fake armor that they'd bought into. And I went and saw them. Oh, no, we're not coming to church and we're giving up on the whole thing. I can't be bothered with it anymore. But I told you it was fake. I told you it would disappoint you. Yeah, we know. What do you want? You were right? No, I'm not saying I was right. I'm saying I warned you that because I was concerned for you. So if you think sometimes I'm strong on resisting false teaching, it's not just because it's against Scripture. I've seen the human cost of people building their lives on what is not true. And that's just one example. I could give you more. Jesus told us the story. I'm not going to turn, up, turn it up. Two men build their houses. One built his house just on the sand. He just cleared some space and built it. One probably had to remove a lot of sand until he found the rock and he built his house on the rock. Jesus says the same wind, the same storm came to both houses. But the house that was built on sand fell. And great was the fall of it. But the house that stood on the rock was still standing. One of the lessons to that, my friends, is this. We can't avoid the storms. The storms come. But if we're built on what is secure, we will survive the storm. We'll come through it. If we're building, if we are built upon what is secure, the rock, the truth, Jesus, the gospel, the Bible, if we're built upon what is secure, we'll be okay. We'll come through it. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at the further items in the armor of God, which are these. The breastplate of righteousness. You put on righteousness like breastpiece. Shoes of the gospel of peace. Being shod with the gospel of peace. It's an interesting expression, isn't it? We'll come to it. Lifting up faith as a shield. Nice picture, that one, isn't it? Fiery arrows coming in and I don't know if he's a Trojan or a Saracen or whatever. He's a bit weird, that guy. Faith as a shield. By the way, don't, don't imagine for a moment you get into hand-to-hand combat with the devil. All he has to do is fire arrows from as far away as he likes. The arrows are what, he's, what he does. Faith as a shield, by which you will be able to quench all the fiery arrows. Salvation as a helmet. Why? Because it's the, the fight we are in is the fight of faith that we continue to trust God and believe God and obey God. And the fight takes place not out there, up there, but in here. 
It's in our minds and in our hearts. It's the battle of the mind. So what happens inside my head makes a huge difference to how I live as a Christian. Living comes out of believing. So salvation is to be a helmet that wraps around my head and keeps some thoughts out and others in. Salvation is a helmet. What's the last one? God's word as a sword. God's word is a sword. Scripture is the first weapon mentioned. The second one doesn't get a description, doesn't get an analogy attached to it, but it's, it's nevertheless one of our weapons. It's prayer. Prayer. Wrestling and prayer. Believing prayer. By the way, we're praying tonight, 6.30. Here's the, here's the advert. 6.30, 7.30. We have an hour of prayer here. Uh, here are the promises of God, right? He's able to do far above and beyond all that we can ask or think. One. Number two, Jesus said, ask so that you will receive and your joy will be full. We had the joy this week, some of us have been praying for, for Chanonso and for Victor, of, of knowing that their child is safely delivered. Early, but safely delivered. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't altogether easy in the pregnancy sometimes, but thank God. You see, when you've been someone who prayed for that, you can go, yes, thank you, Lord. There's thanksgiving and there's joy. I mean, we'd be glad to see Chisholm you know, born anyway. But, but if you pray, there's even more joy. Yeah? Jesus, so when we pray, we're pursuing joy. We're asking for things that when God does them, we go, thank you, God. Hallelujah. Joy. Scripture's the first weapon. Praise the second. There's seven points there of armor or weapons that illustrate to us these the reality. Truth like a belt around us. Righteousness like a breastplate on us. The gospel of peace like shoes or sandals on our feet. Faith like a shield held up before us to resist the attacks against us. Salvation like a helmet on our heads. Also uh, security and protection. Scripture like a sword in our hands. Let me say again. Don't think you can start throwing a sword around until you've got the belt on. You've got to have truth that holds you in and holds you up and holds you together before you start thinking you can be adventurous with it. And prayer, which is like wrestling before God. Scripture tells us to put all of these on, to live in them, to walk in them. Never take a day off from standing and resisting in faith this way. And having been armed and equipped in this way, we're not posing for photos. We're day by day going out into this fallen world, facing human and demonic authorities who are opposed to us, dealing with our own indwelling sin still, overcoming the world, killing sin, fighting the fight of faith. That's what the armor's for, friends. It's so you can fight, so you can stand. I, can, I wrote this down the other day and I thought, I won't save it. I'll give it to you today. I might give it to you in another fixed time. Summing up some of the things we said over previous week. The Lord's presence is our sanctuary. We have only to begin to pray and we can enter God's presence. That's our sanctuary. You say, oh, I'd like to retreat from life. It's provided. Your retreat is to enter into your Father's presence. To go into somewhere quiet and lift your heart to God. And right there, meet with the Father, meet with God. That's our sanctuary. His promises are our security. Why? Because he says it. If he says it, it's true. 
No question. His word gives us stability, strength. Belt of truth that holds you in, holds you up, makes you strong. And his grace is our salvation. We need no other argument. We need no other plea, says the old hymn. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We sang that song earlier and uh, I'm often moved by singing those words, not the I have decided to follow Jesus. We can sing that. But the bit that says, Christ is enough for me. Is that what your life is built upon? Is that the core, the rock of your life? The center of everything? Christ is enough for me. So Jesus challenges to take some thought about how we are building our lives. On solid rock or on shifting sand. And, and the couple I mentioned earlier, I didn't think much of their storm, I didn't think much of a storm at all, but it was enough to throw them. It was enough to throw them. Some of us are Christians and we've been Christians for years and already we can say with the, with the old hymn, Amazing grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And it's grace that will lead me home. God's grace, through these principles, giving us strength and courage and equipment to deal with life as it is, not pretend, not to go, go to some la-la land where we just put our fingers in the and sing and it's all going to go away. But we deal with life. We face life. That's why it's a breastplate, folks. We have to face life. The way it is, but we face life with faith, which is built upon truth. Not pretending. Dealing with reality, but with real faith. That's built on solid rock. Amen.